Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the podcast that gets experts to explain important things in response to some really basic questions. I'm Danielle Ward, and here to explain how housing works is John Elledge, a journalist for the New Statesman and City Metric. Also joining me to ask the stuff we could probably Google are comedians Margaret Cable Smith and Gabriel Abulu. So, John, my first question Why are houses so expensive? Okay, the standard explanation for these things is in economics is supply and demand. Yeah. Housing is a bit more complicated, though, because it's not just about the supply of and demand for housing, but the supply of money as well. Okay. So the simple answer is, in a lot of places, houses are probably quite expensive because we don't have enough houses relative to the number of people who want to own houses there. Okay. But we kind of don't know exactly how big that problem is because it's also been disguised by the fact that with interest rates so low for so long... Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of money that's flown into the into property because it's just been so much cheaper to borrow money. So basically, I kind of think until interest rates go back up to like 4 or 5%, we sort of don't know exactly how many houses we're missing, if that makes sense. Okay. That does make sense, a little bit. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's a, a great start if we're already on a little bit. Do you think even if, as a millennial, I stop buying avocado toast... Will I ever be able to buy a house? How much avocado toast do you eat? <laughs> a lot. It's okay. taste. Have you had avocado toast? It's, oh, it's amazing. amazing. Isn't it brilliant? It's like crack on bread, mate. I love it when they do that. Uh, what's that kind of like chili shavings thing you get? Yeah, on, yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Do you like um, with an egg or without an egg? With oh, sometimes that's going to increase your prices as well, isn't it? Yes, your margins. I mean, that's a really big house. You can't. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's bullshit, isn't it? I think the middle-aged often like to tell themselves that the reason younger people can't get on the housing ladder is because younger people are feckless and are pissing their money away on like you know gin and avocados and like city breaks or whatever it is because the actual explanation that prices are too expensive because they, these this old generation have gone out and bought 14 houses each or something that kind of implicates them <laughs> and they don't really want to sort of accept that yeah. as a possible explanation so it's much easier if you can just find some reason to, to blame 25 Bloody year millennials. Really. Yeah. Yeah. there's a few sort of homeless people who sit on the end of my road but the other day I saw someone in hospital scrubs drinking <gasps> beer on the end of my thing and I was like yeah that's that's what's happening people who actually have proper like nursing jobs are also 
so poor that they're drinking oh, cheap lager God. at the end of my road. I just Bloody really hell. hope they were very early for a fancy dress party. <laughs> yes. yes, or that someone had donated them to a homeless shelter. <laughs> yeah. that's, well, that's possible. I kind of think this is why we've started talking about the housing crisis the last few years is because it's become bad enough to hit relatively rich people. People with proper jobs. People with professional careers struggling to get onto the housing ladder. Not just in London, in like Oxford and Cambridge and Bristol and Brighton. People are struggling to rent with those, you know. I mean, I I heard that foreigners came over here and (coughs) kicked uh, everybody out of their houses and that's why there's a housing crisis. Is that true? No. Has the housing crisis got anything to do with an increased immigrant population? I mean, on the sort of most basic mathematical level, if you increase the number of people living in this country without increasing the number of homes to put them in, yeah. or like without increasing the home number of homes at the rate we increase the population, then yeah, that probably that is in the mix. But it, it does get overstated. Like I think probably internal migration is a bigger factor. Like, if you go back 50 years, London's dominance of the national economy was not nearly as great as it is now. Like, there were more sort of well-paying jobs in... Like, you go back to the early 80s, the West Midlands, uh, wages there were actually higher than in London. Wow. Because, yeah, because it still had a huge car industry and those were very, very well-paying jobs. You get to 1986, the Big Bang, the City of London takes off, becomes a huge thing it is now. And, like, London becomes much, the centre of the British economy much more than it was before. And there are fewer opportunities in, in other cities. So places like, I don't know, Middlesbrough. If, if you grew up in Middlesbrough and you go to university, the odds are you're probably going to move to London afterwards because that's where the graduate-level jobs are. So if we could just sort of work out a way of, like, spreading the economic activity around the country a bit more evenly, then we would probably sort of also help out with the housing crisis in in places like London. Why are there so many luxury developments and no basic developments? Tesco's do more basic than finest and they make loads of money. Because of the price of land. Okay. So the land is kind of like the biggest element that goes into the cost of housing. Like you've also got to like buy, you know, bricks and pay people to sort of turn them into things. None of that costs that much. Relative to land, like, yeah, it really really doesn't. So have you ever seen those stories where like a small garage in like Hampstead is going for like a quarter of a million quid or something? It's not like the garage itself is worth a quarter of a million quid. It's because it sits on a plot of land. Okay. And there are other things you can theoretically do with that land, like build a very small house. Oh, okay. And that is where the land is so expensive. But the reason land has become more expensive is because, firstly, because of economic activity is kind of increasingly focused on fewer places, which is why, like, London is so vastly more expensive than, say, Newcastle, because, like, there are so many more high-paying jobs here that if you can earn a square foot of London, you're going to do all right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, land in a place like London is going to be more expensive, but also we have artificially restricted the amount of it. Like, the amount of land we have is obviously restricted anyway because sooner or later you will fall in the sea. Mm -hmm. But we've added other restrictions like the Metropolitan Green Belt, which was introduced in the 1950s, kind of places tight constraints on, like, how physically, how big London can get. You can't just keep building outwards and creating more London. Yeah. So you kind of need to be sort of selling what you build there above a particular price to make a profit on it. Okay. That kind of pushes developers towards the, the higher-end developments because otherwise they're not going to make a profit, so they just won't build. 
So I was walking down Dalston High Street, which isn't the most salubrious part of London, and there was a big development, luxury, big luxury flats on Dalston High Street, and it's got a, it's got its own cinema and its own gym. But people who live in Dalston, what, I can't afford one of those flats. But then people who don't live in Dalston wouldn't want to live in Dalston. Like, why would you buy a big, why would you buy a really expensive flat in Dalston when you could buy a quite a nice house in Pinner? Isn't it a thing where they are trying to force? poor people out of Dalston. So you get a load of rich people in. Probably not that consciously. Like, there are probably places where this has happened. The borough of Newham, for a while, was very interested in this concept of convergence, which basically means bringing Newham's land prices up to be level with other inner London boroughs' land prices, which is effectively, you know, that that has a knock-on effect, which is social cleansing. Mm. But I don't think Hackney is a borough that is particularly known for it. It's more that it's just like, I mean, Dawson's quite well located. It's like walking distance from the city or Islington. It's quite fashionable. There's some kind of nice bars around there. It's become a sort of aspirational place to live in a way that 20 years ago it wasn't. And the transport links have improved and so on. So it has, the reason people would rather live in Dawson than Pinner, or a certain type of person anyway, is because it's, it's cooler. It's more convenient, you know? But those are it's a different re- lifestyle. They're really, really, really expensive. Yeah, it's crazy. So the origin story of my sort of obsession with housing is yeah. a piece I did like five years ago where I kind of worked out how much a house on Albert Square would cost. Yeah. And how therefore like EastEnders was completely unrepresentative <laughs> of like the type of people who would actually live in a place like that. Because yeah. like those houses should be worth like a million quid yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by now. And those are the, the people in EastEnders do not do not own million pound property, right? Yeah. But these luxury places, there's some luxury flats at the end of my road, and as far as I can tell, they're mainly empty. You know, and most of the luxury things I'm seeing being built, I mean, obviously some of them haven't finished being built, and that would explain it, but there is a problem, isn't it, that there's loads of these things that are being built and are being bought, presumably, but no-one's living in them. They're just bits of bank. It is a problem. Um, We don't know how big a problem it is because it's quite difficult to kind of get data on this. But people sometimes talk about it as if, like, well, if we could just make sure all these flats were occupied, then we wouldn't have a housing crisis. And that's, that's nonsense. It's nowhere near that scale. It's probably... A few tens of thousands of properties in London are probably left empty, but it's a tiny, tiny share, which makes sense. Like, if people have spent half a million quid on a flat in London, even as a sort of buy-to-let investment, that's a lot of money. You want to be earning something from it. So, except for at the very top end, where it's like, if you have people in, like, a really, really posh flat, you might think, well, the damage that they're going to do to my lovely posh flat is not really worth the rent they're going to pay me. So, so there are there are problems in like places like Belgravia or whatever. But in most of London, where people buy apartments as an investment, they do rent them out mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just like a pile of cash that they've got sat there that's kind of not really making anything for them. Gabriel, now you've just moved to London from Manchester. Yes. Hearing about this internal migration, do you feel bad about that? <laughs> yeah, I am part of the problem. I'm just moving to like, take up the space with my avocado toast. How much space are you taking up? I'm quite big, so like, uh, <laughs> literally some space. But um, yeah, I do feel a bit bad about it. <laughs> but then I, I, used to live, cause I, I used to live in Peckham. Then me and my wife got married and we wanted to live in Peckham still. Then we went to like above a pub. was like, you've got to you know, give blood every day and pay two million quid to live there. <clears> so I moved to Manchester for a year. And I've moved back like outside of sort of Kingston, Hampton. And that sort of leads to my next question because like with gentrification and stuff, you sort of mentioned how like it, it happens over time. But how does it like happen so like aggressively with places like Brixton, 
Catford, uh, South London, you know? Part of it is, I think, a sort of social change, like living in inner London or other sort of major inner cities is kind of cool now, which mm. it wasn't even sort of 20, 30 years ago. Like, when, when my, my parents were in their 20s, they moved to, like, Forest Gate, which is, like, Zone 3 or Zone 4. But they moved into town from the suburbs because that was where they could afford, because it was cheaper. And, like, as soon as they had any money, they started creeping their way back out again. I think that was quite normal. Like, people didn't, like decide to live in like Dawson or Peckham it was where people were living because they couldn't afford somewhere better and that's kind of got flipped on its head over the last 30 years and there's all sorts of reasons for that I kind of think like that sort of run of like Manhattan based sitcoms in the 90s is probably to blame (laughs) but genuinely like I think things like Sex and the City like suddenly make like living in the centre of a city look interesting again but it is just like... But also, transport's incredibly expensive, so better yeah. to live centrally, so you're not mm. paying loads to get it's... into wherever it is that you're trying to work. It's also... Downtown's cleaner now, like, even in, the, like, the 80s, you're still at the tail end of, like, cities having big manufacturing sectors. So people didn't want to live in the centre of the city because there'd be, like, smoke and dirt everywhere. Mm. That's not really a problem in London anymore. Like, you don't get dirty because you're next to a bank. Well, yet the air is... Yeah, I mean, uh, morally, maybe, but... You know, like, <laughs> Can I ask, Gabriel, was yes. the move back to London, mm. was that because Manchester... I mean, presume I don't know, did you think that Manchester was a long-term... Prospect no, that it was going to work out. We just or... wanted to live somewhere because I do comedy, so it's easier in Manchester. I could I can do various gigs and mm. go into town, out of town, and stuff. The plan was just to stay there for a year, do right, loads okay. of gigs, save your money, come back, and get a place. How okay. much money were you expecting to earn in Manchester? Oh, there's loads in Manchester. <laughs> loads of gigs. And no avocado toast, so I saved oh. a lot of money. Now, why don't the government build loads more council houses instead of giving all of my taxes to a private landlord? I think with this government, it's because they don't really like council housing very much. But it would save so much money in terms of the... It it literally would, yeah. We spend as much of the national budget on housing as we ever did. It's just whereas we used to spend it building council housing, now it just goes straight through housing benefit into a landlord's pocket. And that's that's not great, is it? It seems madness. Yeah. What is it? Is it a principle thing is it they don't want to yeah they don't want to look like they're looking after poor people but they're not bringing down the benefit bill it's two things really firstly the assumption in british politics for a very long time was that rising house prices was a good thing because when most people own their own homes like the increase in the house prices would make them feel richer so they go and spend more money so the economy would get bigger so there was kind of a virtuous circle and it kind of takes a long time to kind of shift away from that assumption like even the Labour government was still very into that John Prescott like famously complained that like when he wanted to talk about housing around the cabinet table everyone else wanted to talk about house prices and he wanted to talk about council housing but the the other the other reason this government specifically I think doesn't think much of the idea of of council housing is because like you know Right to buy, the factory era policy under which council tenants could buy their council houses at a discount, mm-hmm. it's effectively like privatisation at a knockdown price, that was such a sort of factory era shibboleth, right? That was a key sort of plank of the Thatcher platform. And it was like nakedly political. It was purely about turning local authority tenants who tended to vote Labour into private homeowners who tended to vote Tory. But this was such a part of the Tory platform that it's really taken, like, two generations, really, to kind of get to the point where they're even thinking about shifting away from that now. Like, I do hear people on the right these days say, 
yeah, I've been thinking about it. I think the only way we're going to fix this is to build council housing again. But they're still kind of on the fringes of the right. Like, I don't think it's kind of filtered through to, like, anyone with the actual power to make it happen. But do you think it will? I think... Pass. I mean, maybe. (laughs) I, I think it's plausible. But I also think, you know war with Russia is is plausible and it's probably about Keep the same likes. level of probability <laughs> level, so, you know. With, with rents going up and up and up and up, economically, it baffles me why you would give that money to... Pro- is, there, is it because a lot of members of, you know, the Tory party and the Labour party, to be fair, are private landlords? Yeah, probably. So they're just voting in their own interests? I mean, they probably don't think of it like that. I think, like, generally speaking... As a species, we're quite good at reframing self-interest as principle. So I think it's more likely that it's just when a bill comes forward, like when there was an amendment on some housing bill or another to kind that would require private landlords to make sure the properties they were letting out were fit for human habitation. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't sound like that high a bar, really. That sounds fine. Yeah, but it got voted down. And a load of, like, Tories, like Philip Davis MP, were, like, arguing that it would have all sorts of unforeseen consequences, like pushing, putting all these extra burdens on landlords and so on. And, you know, I think they genuinely believe that. I don't yeah. think they were sat there thinking, oh, God, this is going to cost me a few quid. Well, I was thinking they about this, themselves. There's this sort of idea that health and safety is like really uncool and sort of like a terrible thing. Health and safety. I mean, sort of the opposite of health and safety is death and danger. Is Grenfell going to change anything? I thought it might last summer. (laughs) I kind of feel like we've moved on now, depressingly quickly. Like, it did really feel like... It was so... It just felt so symbolic, didn't it? Because it was like, you know, Kensington, Chelsea is like the richest borough in the country and it had just not been spending the money required to make sure it's, it's... council properties were safe and it, and it had not been building more of them and it had been giving its homeowners a council tax rebate it had been giving money back to them at the same time as like not being careful enough with its tenants safety and so yeah for a couple of months there was sort of real genuine rage about it but mm. it just seems to have dissipated because like no, with they're just this, waiting yeah. aren't they i mean it does make you think what will it take if it's not that i think becoming obvious that you are losing votes if you don't look after tenants. Mm. This is a big shift in the the makeup of the electorate that they think people are only starting to get their heads around now is like it's not just that home ownership numbers have fallen, it's like there are people getting into it's not just like millennials, it's people getting into into their forties who still live in rented property and expect to stay there. And they are voting Labour. They are not voting Tory. Mm. And this generation that, like, his, you know, if you look at all the sort of records historically, people sh- of that age should be, like, you know, buying a Volvo and getting into gardening centres and all that kind of stuff, you know. But that's not really happening in the way it's historically done because so many of these guys are stuck in terrible mm. uh, privately rented accommodation and they're looking at a Tory government that just kind of doesn't... So they seem to think that they're full members of society because they rent. Are so, we waiting for the baby boomers to die? I mean, aren't we always? <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's, very fond of some of them. It's difficult to work out what's going to happen when the generation that do... I mean, like, the baby boomer generation do own an enormous amount of property. Mm-hmm. Like, the buy-to-let boom started in the late 90s, in part as a kind of reaction against the... The, the, the 90s collapse in the pensions industry 
because it was quite difficult to rebuild that very quickly. Gordon Brown fiddled with the tax system to kind of incentivise people to put their money in property and, like, you know, 20 years later, whoops, first-time buyers can't afford a home anymore. So, yeah, it is... A lot of the property is kind of owned by this this one generation, but I kind of can't work out what happens when they die because it's not like that generation has like one child per property they own it kind of doesn't mm-hmm. map on very easily to it's not like you do occasionally hear people say oh we'll be fine though you'll, you'll just inherit property and it's like well a lot of people won't some people will inherit loads other yes, people yes, will not yes. inherit any yeah mm. and even people who aren't inheriting they're going to inherit it when they're in their 60s apparently that's a sort of it's sort of average 61 or whatever going to really inherit yeah that's annoying. It's ridiculous. I mean, not for me, because I've got, you know, nothing. Anything to uh, <laughs> inherit. But, yeah, I still think, well, so they'll all have what's happening to their kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. it totally changes the dynamic, but in, in quite unpredictable mm. ways, I think. And it doesn't seem to me like, as you say, like, the bite-to-let kind of came out of, like, Gordon Brown's Treasury wanting to find a solution to a looming pensions crisis. But what we've got now is... Generation X and the millennials are kind of facing both a pensions crisis and a housing crisis. Yeah. Like people are going to get to retirement age with no pensions yeah. and no property assets either. Yeah. And I have no idea what happens then. I think maybe Logan's Run is our best guy. <laughs> yeah. well, I was thinking. I mean, I'm just going to buy a pitchfork yeah. and and really Perfect. just try and get super fit. <laughs> to, uh, okay. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. (laughs) 
if you think about how many houses there are and how many rooms and bedrooms and everything, everybody could have somewhere to live. The, is the problem not that the rents and the costs are too high, so people can't afford to live in certain places? It's not that there physically aren't enough roofs overheads. It's probably that, like, like you can get lost in in this. It's not altogether obvious that we have a national housing crisis in so much as it's not altogether obvious that we don't have enough houses in the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. The problem is, like, one of the cities that is building at the highest rate relative to existing housing stock is Barnsley because it's quite... It's, for whatever reason, it's quite easy to build in Barnsley. But Barnsley is not, like, generating huge numbers of new jobs. Like, Oxford and Cambridge could do with, like, much bigger housing... Uh, increases in the housing stock but it's it's harder to do because it's got tight green belts because there's like other planning restrictions and because of you know nimbies who just don't want any more bloody houses so you're, you're probably right that we do probably have enough sort of space forever on it but it's not necessarily in the places where people want to live to be near a job because how do you how do you think like in the perfect world how do you how do you change everything that's going on because the way we're going like logan's runaway it's like in a few years, everybody's going to be gentrified. No one's going to live anywhere. Everyone's going to be like confused. What's going on? So how do you fix it? So say, let's just say Donald Trump doesn't exist anymore. So that's the world, right? And then yeah. Jeremy Corbyn's prime minister, maybe. And then it's like a different government. But Brexit also hasn't. Maybe it's, yeah. it's, it's a better world. It's a better world. <laughs> yep. How do we sort of? Where do we go forward? What's the next? What's the first few steps you take? Don't don't ask me questions. I just want to hear more about this perfect world. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, I really don't know. Yeah. Like, it's very easy to... I mean, I'm a journalist. My, my job is to kind of point to... But do you think no-one knows what's the problem? If you, but if, you were, if you were Prime Minister or Home Secretary or whatever, what would you do? One thing I would do immediately is I would allow councils to borrow to build housing again <laughs> because councils often own land, so that's, like, one big problem out of the way. You know, we clearly need more council housing. We need, like, more subsidised housing for people at the bottom end. And if you do that, you probably take some people out of terrible private rented accommodation, so that should bring rents down and also kind of force private landlords to sort themselves out a little bit. It means that people don't necessarily have to get on the property ladder to be certain of measure of security. That is a button the government could press. My difficulty about, like, solving the whole thing is, like, if we could, like halve the price of property tomorrow so that, like, suddenly first-time buyers could get on the ladder again, we would be bringing back that pensions crisis because there's a whole load of people where that's where all their wealth mm. is. And mm. so, like, apart from the fact no government ever is going to, like, you know, they just, like, massively impoverish this generation who tend to vote. Yep. But also from a sort of moral standpoint, it's like, well, you don't want to screw people's lives up. It's kind of much easier to kind of, like, let things trundle on as they are. So... Even if I kind of knew how to do that, I wouldn't. I don't know if you definitely would. Do you think buy to let is immoral? Yeah. How many houses do you think people should be allowed to own? I don't think there should necessarily be like rules against it, but I think there should be very heavy taxes to disincentivize it. Like, I think if you want to own more than one property, fine, maybe there are some good reasons to do that. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but, like, it is possible. But we kind of, like, don't really sort of charge property taxes, except, for, like, council tax is tiny. Yeah. So you could, it's, it's a kind of, like, it's a relatively low-tax way of keeping your money if you've got some. But because you... there is this downside to it, I think there is a strong argument for, like, massively taxing property so that people think twice about it. Yeah, and also, you, it, yeah, you should almost have to get a, get a licence and stuff to be allowed. Mm. I think you should have to be a yeah. good landlord. If you're going to buy a property... 
you know, think, well, I'm going to have to be a good landlord. This this um, law about making your place inhabitable, that yeah. should be like a, a real law, basic. <laughs> but, but also, like, remember, all the money that's going into property... That's unproductive. That's not. That's money that's not going into the next Google. Yeah. Do you know what? I I just don't feel like property developer is a is a real job. Is it? I mean, it's do you think those Channel Four programs yeah, to, blame. to blame? Homes Sarah under Sarah Beanie, like, people like that, <laughs> oh, because gosh, there was that whole yeah. kind of look. You can buy a house for it's ninety thousand really pounds yeah. and then put some wallpaper on it, and it's worth four hundred thousand. <laughs> there was one of those. I can't for the life of me remember what it was called, but there was one of those with Sarah Beanie, which was about like neighbours getting together to do up their street and try and raise property prices, mm-hmm. and Beanie's voiceover got increasingly annoyed that the lazy tenants at number 14 were not doing their bit. And it's like, well, why would they? Why are they going to, like, give up their spare time to make the street pretty, to raise the value of the house that they rent so they get priced out? Yeah, like, it just yeah, doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Stupid fucking Sarah Beanie. <laughs> yeah. So, John, council tax, mansion tax, land tax or some other tax, what is the fairest way to tax homeowners or not even homeowners, because the whole point of council tax is if you live in an area, you're paying for, like, the ambulances. Probably some variant of land tax is the most sensible one because the usefulness of a patch of land is kind of, like, factored into how much you can sell it for. Mm-hmm. So that just seems like the fairest way of doing it. Like, council tax is way out of date. We're still kind of using sort of bandings created in the early 90s, which is crazy. The weird thing about the mansion tax would be, like, it would be hitting not necessarily massively cash-rich people in London. Yeah, boo-hoo. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> while missing, people are absolutely loaded in much of the rest of the country, and that's not ideal either. Like, land tax will kind of take all these things into into account. And also it just means people will kind of... They will not sort of leave land undeveloped while they sort of wait for the market to change or something. Like, they will use it because it is costing them money not to. Also, if we were charging land tax on, like, all the golf courses in Surrey... You can be damn sure that some of them would have houses on pretty swiftly. Oh, that never occurred to me. There is a statistic which says that like, there is more land given over to golf courses in Surrey than housing. No way. Now, I think this is housing alone rather than like you know gardens and so on. But yeah. Yes, as I understand it, that is true. There is more of Surrey oh, that is golf God. course than house. Do you believe that landlords should be way more regulated than they are now or should it be a trust-based system? I mean, I think the trust-based system's working fine, isn't it? People <laughs> I, don't I, hear any... So well. Everything's, everything's great. I've had, so, like, I've had so many bad landlords. When I, when I first moved to London, I think I moved every 12 months because either the rent would be put up or nothing gets fixed. I mean, and I, I was pretty lucky, but how on earth, morally, why aren't landlords being fined or having their assets stripped if they're making people to live in a home with mould up the walls and no hot water. Is How are family of rats living in your oven at one point? Mice. Mice. A family of mice, mice. living I'm in my oven. And my, my landlady said, oh, it's fine, I don't use the oven. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things you hear a lot in this debate is, well, OK, the British way has always been home ownership, but actually if you look at the continent, like in Germany, like hardly anyone owns their own home. Why can't we be like that? And this is the reason why, because like, if you look at Germany... Yeah. Renting is much better. Yeah. Like, you get longer tenancies. There is a a limit. I can't remember exactly how it works, but there is, like, some kind of, like, restriction on how fast prices can rise. And, like, landlords have some kind of, like, actual sort of legal responsibilities to their tenants, whereas these days, in Britain, you can just, like, buy a place and, like, you know, 
stuff it with whoever you want and then charge them fortune. You charge them whatever the market will bear. And then Philip Davis MP will like speak up in the House of Commons for your rights. Oh, Philip Davis is such a cunt. Uh... <laughs> How come developers can promise to build a percentage of affordable housing only to turn around and go, hang on a minute, we're not going to bother now. How is that allowed to happen? The way they do it is for a thing called a viability assessment, which is basically, you know, like, can they have to be allowed to make a certain amount of profit. Like, the assumption, I think, is they need to be able to make about a 20% margin because if they don't, they will go bust or they will get taken over. And, like, what the government doesn't want is kind of a less competitive house-building sector. So... It is accepted by regulators that, you know, house builders should be able to, like, make money when they build houses. So the viability assessment kind of works out, like, what else they can do Mm -hmm. while still making that profit. The problem is there's a lot of different assumptions that will go into this about, like, you know, sale price, how much it's going to cost you to build the things, how the market is likely to change between being granted planning permission and, and, like, actually finishing and so on. So it's quite easy to game the system. Plus... House builders will generally be able to afford quite good lawyers and consultants and other advisors, whereas councils can't. Yeah. So generally speaking, like there is kind of like a, a, a differential of expertise and it's just quite easy for house builders to spend, I don't know, a hundred grand on advisors that help them get out of a million pounds worth of commitment. Planning permission, right? Mm. Why does it exist? Say, for example, right, just you're a, you're a man very handsome man, and you want to build Thank you. a 10-foot granite statue of Doc Cotton outside of your house, why do you need to, if, you see, if it's your house, why do you need pending permission? It's a recognition of the fact that what you build affects other people. But everyone loves Doc Cotton, though. <laughs> Richmond Council. Well, I mean, hopefully, like, Richmond Council would agree the application. <laughs> I mean, like, 10 feet sounds a bit... You can you can do bigger than that. Why? I mean, like Statue of Liberty is what granite is very expensive. <laughs> this is true. I've got a toast to eat, mate. But do it for dot. I mean, but yeah, it's because like it's, this stuff has an impact on people other than the people who own the land. So actually, I think like, I'm quite. I spend a lot of time shouting about the Green Belt because I think whenever anyone writes about the Green Belt in a national newspaper, it will be illustrated with a picture of like the Chilterns or North Downs or Richmond Park. All these things are the beautiful. A lot of Greenbelt is not like that. A lot of it's like horrible, sort of scabby bits of woodland. Like it's, you know, it's like little places where people go and get stoned, and there's like empty lager cans and you know used condoms and stuff. It's just like crap like that, or it's like chemically contaminated farmland. There's like no wildlife there, and it's not open to the public. It's horrible. And you know, I I I think we should be talking about using some of this land if it is near transport links. Some of this land could be better employed as housing. But you try and suggest that to a politician and almost always steam will start, they will look panicked because they know that their constituents love the Green Belt. They love the idea of the Green Belt. Often they don't recognise the reality is not quite as green as they imagine it to be. But once upon a time, it was quite a good idea. Like The opposite of the Green Belt is like Houston, Texas or Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Like If you go to these places where they never had any restrictions and it just sprawls for mile after mile after mile. So everyone has to drive. It's terrible for the environment. There's no public transport. So like some kind of planning p- policy is good. I just my, my concern is that like we're stuck with a planning policy from like the 50s that doesn't meet 
the needs of the housing market anymore. The uh, McDonald's in Richmond, there was a big uproar when they when the first McDonald's opened and um, they were only allowed to do it. If I don't know if you've been to the McDonald's in Richmond. I think so. Um, they, they had to try oh, and make McDonald's it look... Oh, the McDonald's in Richmond. McDonald's, you know that, yeah, it's know, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's so wonderful. Beautiful. But no, they had to sort of, like, give it a wooden cladding and yeah. stuff. Oh, oh, it's ridiculous. Well. Richmond is so to up To make it themselves. nice. So. Yeah, to yeah. make it look like... It's not really a McDonald's. It's got a little <laughs> flappy si- wooden sign outside and the, the art that, you know, the golden arches are very small. <laughs> well, it's this lovely independent um, burger place. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, so we've got time for one more question each. Margaret. How much space does a human being need? (laughs) (laughs) Answer the question, John. And uh, how big a human being are we talking here? Are we talking like... Well, no, any size. Andre the Giant or Warwick Davis? The average. So that's exactly between them. I, I don't know what the actual answer to this is, but we do have the smallest houses in... Certainly, the English-speaking world, but it, yeah, it, we have very we have unusually small houses, and we're fine. Yeah, it's all going well. Yeah, I mean, no like, one's depressed. I've been living in central London for like fifteen years, so occasionally I go and visit someone who lives like outside town, and I'm just like, "You've got a corridor. <laughs> what do you do with all these rooms that you're not literally like using the whole time?" I have to say, I think I've become conditioned to the idea of living in a big house. Like, that's just loads of places for murderers to hide, right? Oh, and I mean, mess. Loads um, of place to make. At least in my little tiny flat, I know exactly where the murderer can hide. <laughs> There's one place. Gabriel. Just for a sort of opinion question. Oh, those where, are the best ones. Where, where do you think, like, the stereotype comes from, like, uh, estate agents being, like, a bit of a arseholes? Is it Foxton's? I think it probably comes from people having met estate agents, in all honesty. Like, I think it's, like, it just seems, like... There's just a lot of them that are kind of like white boys who are just like out to screw you. I think that's a real thing. Mm. Does it just attract bullshitters because that's the what job? you sort of do? Yeah. Is there much more to it than being a bullshitter? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I was just, I'm suddenly feeling guilty about <laughs> nice estate agents I have met in my time. The one we sold at our flat was actually lovely. Like, like, so this is a really nice flat. Why is it not sold? Into it? I don't know. They probably put it on too expensive, didn't they? It's like, oh, I wow. like him. Good old Josh. But I, d- I don't know. I mean, it's just like there are enough arseholes out there who just want to screw you over mm. that I think it just kind of sticks as a repertoire. And also it's just like they don't... It doesn't feel like a profession that is doing something socially useful. It's not like, you know, people will have a natural sympathy towards, like, nurses or whatever. But a state agent, it's just like, well, they're, they're really just kind of standing between me and the thing I need and taking a big cut. Mm. So, I think we should get rid of all commission-based jobs. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just get rid of them all. So, John, my final question. If someone gave you a ten-bedroom mansion, what would you do with it? I'd probably sell it. I mean, like, I quite like money. I've got a flat. Actually, weirdly, at the moment, I currently own two properties because my dad died. So so I'm like... You are the enemy. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm one of the winners. Except unless about... you count the dead dad thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I... I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I don't know, like, rent it out to your mates and have parties. I don't know, what's the thing that young people do? Like, Oh, I don't know. Gabriel, you might yeah. be a young person. Well, I'm sort of like an indoorsy so young person, so I just, like... So all the rooms would be... Yeah. No, it'd be weird, because like you said, it'd be weird to live in a ten-person house. Mm. Like, Ten's too big, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, do you think there should be a cap on, like, house sizes? Do you think, like, you know, but, who needs more than four bedrooms? But this is kind of what, like, land tax would do. If, like, people were actually sort of 
forced to like pay something towards the cost of the space they're occupying that they didn't need, mm -hmm. then they would think twice about whether or not it was actually worth having that space. And like people, like old couples living in five bedroom houses might think, well, we don't need all this space. Maybe we should sell it so a young family can move in and we'll get somewhere smaller. But we don't have anything in the tax system at the moment to make that happen. Before we go, is there anything you would like to plug, Gabriel? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Gabriel Abulu, uh, E-B-U-L-U-E, and listen to my podcast, The Free Trek Podcast, on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. Margaret? My podcast is my podcast is Do The Right Thing and I'm on tour in May and June in John Finnamore's Flying Visit. Uh, John, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John Elledge, which is J-O-N-N-E-L-L-E-D-G-E. I also have a podcast, as it turns out, which is called Skylines, the City Metric podcast, where I talk about housing and transport and other nerdy things. Oh, cool. Thank you very much. Thanks to my guests, John Elledge, Margaret Cable-Smith and Gabriel Abulu. Any Stupid Questions was written and presented by me, Danielle Ward, and produced by Ed Morris for the internet. Follow us on Twitter at AnyStupidQs for notices of new episodes or recordings and extra bits that we've cut out. And if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you'll know that we have to ask you to rate, review, subscribe and tattoo my face onto your face to help other people find out about the show. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.